Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field. I'm Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard, your host, and I love Thanksgiving so much. So, so much. It is my absolute favorite holiday of the entire year, mostly because I like food, but also because I like food. And you're not really expected to do anything after the eating, which is great. Um, I'm going to share a few things that I'm thankful for this year. First is all of you. You've made my year so special. Second is Zoe. Um, my friends and colleagues, including Jerry and Jason uh, at Radio Influence for everything that they do, dealing with my procrastination and my audio issues and teaching me to do what should be really simple things. Um, they're the best. Make sure you check them out at radioinfluence.com and the family of Radio Influence podcasts. I'm also thankful for sleep and, of course, cupcakes. And I have a few days off this week so that I can rest and start my 2019 planning, which makes me happy. And speaking of planning, my big excitement of this week was ordering a brand new planner for 2019. I'm not going to say the brand because I haven't gotten it yet. and It's my first year getting this one, but I am a big planner nerd and this has me way too excited. Um, it has everything my little heart desires. And anyway, so the organizational planner dork in me is super happy. All right, enough of my rambling. Uh, this week's episode is with two other people. So some of the audio at times is a little rough, um, but bear with us. Um, it's mostly great um, audio wise. It's There are a couple of spots right in the beginning and then towards the end. It's my first multi-person interview, so so bear with me as we did this. Um, and it's for good reason. The guests are uh, Fatima Hussein and Jamie Glover, the co-founders of the company Asia. Asia is a modest sportswear apparel company that caters to Muslim women and other women who want to participate in sport while maintaining their modest belief systems. So... Um, we have previously had Shireen Ahmed as a guest and Shireen and I talked about women in sport and, um, hijabis, hijabs, um, and how, you know, it, it hasn't been something that we've seen a lot of, um, Asia is one of the companies that she had mentioned and, Thanks to one of our wonderful listeners. She knows who she is. Um, I got to meet these lovely women at Asia. So um, thank you for that. And, you know, if you guys have other people you want to like introduce me to that you think should be on the pod, let me know. Uh, email address is ltpfpod at gmail.com, you know, that whole thing. Anyway, so this is a really cool interview. Um, Fatima has a really interesting story, um, how she came to the United States, um, how she started a, um, a special, basically, gym time for um, young Muslim women in her community, and then um, how that helped be the catalyst for 
this company, Asia, um, and then how she found Jamie. Um, Jamie and Fatima have only known each other for a couple of years, so um, it's it's a really fun story. And there's a little something special at the end for you all, so make sure you listen um, all the way through. They were really excited to bring you a little treat. Um, so yeah, please enjoy this interview with the co-founders of Asia, Fatima Hussein and Jamie Glover. Hi, Jamie and Fatima. Hi there. <laughs> All right, let's do a quick hi to Fatima first so that people can get used okay. to your voice. <laughs> no, no, this is perfect. Okay. <laughs> It's first for all, so okay, we'll try. <laughs> so, uh, Fatima, hi, welcome. Hi, thank you. And Jamie, welcome. <laughs> thank you. So excited to be chatting today. I'm so excited to have you both here, and um, you're my first duo that's been on, so we're going to have some fun with this. I want to um, start with the question I ask everyone. So I think maybe Fatima, if you can answer first and then Jamie, you can, you can answer after her. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. So how did y'all fall in love with sports? So for me, I fall in love with sports um, at my PE classes. I, every time when I was in my PE, I always looked forward to it. Um, I would get dressed, um, I wanted to always be the first one, whatever we're doing. And right there, even though my clothes was a barrier, but still, I always loved my PE classes. And I think that's how I got introduced to loving sports. Awesome. And for you, Jamie? So I was introduced to sports at a really young age. Um, my mom was actually um, a PE teacher and then went on to be an athletic director and actually uh, the first female athletic director in the state of Minnesota. Oh, my gosh. And so, yeah, so I grew up being around sports all the time um, and then, of course, was encouraged by my my family to, you know, try every sport possible, which I did, um, and went on to play um, volleyball and softball through college. Wow. Um, that's pretty fascinating. I don't think I've met anyone whose mom was a PE teacher and then athletic director, obviously, but, um, Mm -hmm. so that's pretty cool to have that at the beginning. And Fatima for you, um, you know, the clothing barrier was something, um, that I'm sure came early on in wanting to play sports for you, correct? Correct. Yeah, I mean, even playing sports outside in front of my home, um, the clothing was still a barrier because I would have to wear all my um, cultural and religious clothes, my skirt, my uh, hijab, um, and a lot of layers with it. So that was, it was always uh, uh, a barrier for me. And especially when my PE classes because I want to compete. I want to be one, but still I have that barrier that it's like, it's always behind my, um, my mind. Right. And I know a lot of people, I mean, I think for a lot of, um, a lot of people in America who don't 
know much about your faith and um, and some of the the cultural aspects of of it um, wouldn't even really give it a second thought, right? Um, but if you can yep. give a little background on um, you know what your childhood was like, I know that I mean you have a pretty incredible story from an early age um, coming to the United States. Yeah. So I came with my mom and dad and then my sister. I'm very um, early. I was six years old when I came. Um, I was um, from Somalia, but then I came from Kenya. So Kenya to Minnesota. I don't know why my parents picked Minnesota, you know, the weather, but and we never <laughs> left here. <laughs> um, but it's been home to me since then. I started all my education here mm-hmm. and Really, that's where I was introduced to sports was at my PE class. It was not anywhere else that I seen. I, I mean, everything else that I saw was men playing. Um, when I was young, I would see boys playing outside, um, not girls playing any sports. Um, you probably, the girl would be like, oh, yeah, go um, with auntie or mommy and sit down, you know. But the boy, they would give them a ball. And it was not something that they purposely did it was just the norm it was something normal for them right you um and, and i never really oh go on sorry yeah yeah and i really never questioned it because it was normal so but then when i came to america and i started my education pe was a requirement class then i'm like oh perfect i can try something here yeah that's i mean that had to have been one of one of many big changes snow being another one <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> and my mom would be like putting layers after layers because of the snow. You know, the only snow we knew was, you know, the free um, the ice that you would put on your soda or, you know, pop. So coming to America and Minnesota, you have snow. And then she would put like maybe like two to three jeans on top of me and the two sweaters and then two scarves and then the jacket. Oh my so God. I would look like a very chubby child, but I'm not really a chubby child. Oh, that's so funny. So we choke about it. We choke about it. But my as I got a little bit, uh, you know, like got used to the my PE class, I would be like, OK, mom, I have gym today. We have to slow down with the layers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was yeah <laughs> so great <laughs> a little known fact about um minnesota is that there and by little known i mean i think it is actually something we're hearing more about but um minnesota has a really large um somali refugee population right yes we do so um that must have been helpful when when you all came over to have that community there yeah well i came around the 1995 so we were really the first um era of east african immigrants coming in but i think when i asked my mom why we chose minnesota mostly was because of the sponsorship the lutheran um social services provided a lot of uh, sponsorships and because of jobs, um, there was a lot of factories. People had um, opportunities to work. Wow. that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yep. Because of this, um, this large population um, of, of refugees and of those of um, Muslim faith, you, 
you started a really cool program at uh, a certain point in time when you noticed that there weren't a lot of girls playing sports in the area. Can you talk a little bit about girls? Yeah. So I started a nonprofit, a pri- basically a private space for girls to be physically active. Um, I start working at uh, Brian Coyle, which is under Pillsbury United Community. Uh, they provide a social service um, services for immigrants, new arrivals. And really, my father brought me to the community to volunteer, and then I got a job. But for me, I wanted to work at the retail, um, retail uh, and the stores, but he wanted to keep an eye on it, which was pretty good because I started loving to volunteer. But when I saw there, I saw a lot of girls were not using the gym. Boys were like 24. Every time I come, there was boys full of it. And the girls would be like outside the door watching them play. And I was like, why? That's kind of weird. So I started talking to the girls and they were like, oh yeah, we can't go in there. If we go in there, our parents are notified. And when our parents are notified, we're labeled as the girls who are causing trouble, who are becoming more Americanized, who are just um, losing their culture. And no parent want to be labeled as that. Can you, um, for those who, who just aren't educated enough, why would that mean that the girls are trouble? So for us, usually what happens is that boys and girls are not mixed together. Girls usually stay with the girls and the boys stay with the boys. Um, so when they see a mixture of boys and girls, they felt like it, the girls would be losing their culture because sure. um, religiously you shouldn't be near a boy. You know, and as being a mother right now, I can really see like a 21 year old, 18 year old being in the same room with a 13 year old, less supervision. So it also makes sense. But I was like, there should be supervision when it comes to the staff. You know, we Mm -hmm. should find ways for them to be physically active. You know, we shouldn't just just say you cannot enter the gym um, because you're a girl, you know, basically. Even though they say they were not doing that, but somehow somebody was telling the parent who entered the gym. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, and so you, you just basically created this time there where the girls could have their own time in the gym, right? Yeah, so I talked to the girls and then I talked to their parents and I, w- I really wanted to find the solution. I mean, why? What was behind for them not to let the girls? And th- mainly was because they don't want to mix it. So I was like, okay, is it possible if we do just girls uh, gym time? And the parents, the girls, they're all happy about it. They're like, yes, if you can make that happen. So I went back to my supervisor and he was like, oh, that's a good idea, but the girls can go in the gym right now. So, but what happened was that I was like, uh, well, you're saying that, but a lot of parents are saying that they're t- the staff are telling them who goes in and it, they, the girls don't feel safe in the place. And da, da, da. So they gave me six to eight uh, Wednesdays, which was really little time. So a lot of girls from the Twin Cities came and we didn't even do any posters or any, it was word of mouth. That's fantastic. What would you, um, did you, put together actual like programs or was it just kind of like free reign, do whatever y'all want? So what happened is that on that um, Wednesdays, we would do just, and it was an open gym. Firstly, every girl would come, they would play, uh, pick up games. We would do drills. We would do, they would try, basically their main sport that they like to play was basketball. And to this day, basketball is our main sport that they love. But right in that space is where they really started just to 
build themselves, love themselves, and say like, I can really play this. Like, mm-hmm. it sh- there was there's not a reason why I should not. So right away, six to eight was not enough for us. Then we start looking for another day, Sundays. Which um, Sundays, the good part is that it was very hard for us to get it. But then, you know, we started using Title IX and we had a support from um, Sarah Noor, who's been a pioneer when it comes to really supporting us, provide a physical um, activity, a space where women and girls can be physically active, you know, privately. And she was the CEO of People Center. Okay. She helped us really get the Sundays open. And to this day, Sundays and Wednesdays are still going on and we're still involved in those days. And we also have swimming, which we added it. So Sundays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Oh, that's so great. And how many... Oh, yeah, it's... How many girls participate? Yes, I'm sorry. So it varies. So we have 20, we have 30, we have sometimes five. So really, it's really open. Even if we have a one girl, the gym is always open. We never close and say, oh, yeah, you're only here. Um, every girl really noticed that this place is open for them and that fo- we run as volunteers. We have volunteers coming. But right now we have registered around 20 to 30 girls. That's such a cool thing to do in the community. I know that in um, in cities with, um, uh, you know, in, in certain cities um, where culturally you have a more modest culture they've been opening women's only gyms a lot so um and getting women more active so i think it's fantastic and it's great that you um you took that initiative to do that too i can i could see how it would be hugely beneficial to the girls in in that community oh yeah it's really has been i mean it's not just really it was not me it was them who really brought this to the attention to for all of us um i just you know used the little um power that i i had to really get that started but it's it was theirs can you talk a little bit about um some of the benefits that you've seen with the girls that have been participating so right now, Cedar Riverside, you can see a lot of girls playing and participating in their PE, uh, not PE, PE classes, participating in their school, um, basketball, soccer, sports. Um, they're always talking about trying out for a sport. That, in like a couple of years ago, that was not something that was normal for them. Um, they know that they can always get support from us, um, the encouragement, the confidence. Um, we see them really playing and picking up um, basketball or soccer outside in the park and not worry about, you know, they're wearing their skirt or anything. They'll just pull it up and like, okay, I'm going to go play. And families and community members are really becoming like, okay, yeah, she can do this. You know, she can do this. And they're getting support from them. I love it. I love it so much. Um, The other thing is, you know, I'm sure... You, as someone who was active, had obviously, you know, as as we mentioned, talked about, you know, the restraint of mm-hmm. the modest clothing um, and how it can kind of get in the way sometimes. Um, the fact that you you helped the girls get this time, um, that's kind of how you noticed that there was a need for more modest sportswear, correct? Correct, yes. So how how did, I don't know, like how do you even start with that? 
So what happened is that we solved the issue for girls really becoming physically active and being confident on playing sports. But right away, what I found out is that the girls who really built their confidence in our gym were not really inviting their parents to their uh, sport games. They would like take off their sport hijab. I mean, they would take their hijab out and just play without their hijab. And I was like, oh. And when I start asking them, why are they, you know, taking off their hijab? They're like, oh, because I have to, uh, I'm not focusing when I'm shooting. Uh, I have to like wrap around my head. It's getting hot. It's, I'm just, I don't feel 100% like I'm focusing and being part of the team. Then I was like, okay, Fatima. So you solve the issue really for them to be physically um, active and the self-confidence, but then you're going to, you cause some whole little identity um, problem over there. Right. I'm like, okay, so we have to try to solve what this is. Um, so I was like, so how can we solve this? I'm sure your mom and dad are going to be proud of you, but we have to really find a way that you can re- really be proud of who you are and not choose between them. So they were like, well, if, what if we co-create, uh, you know, uh, active wear, a whole um, uniform for you to be part of the team? And that's where really the ideas came about and they start really um, co-creating and start um, getting involved, actually, the community and everywhere, uh, everybody about um, creating a sport um, uniform that they can be very proud of that is culturally and religiously appropriate. So the whole idea of community involvement and like co-creating this whole sport um, activewear was because of what we saw. And and again, for people who you know may not know, it's not just the hijab. Um, it's you know they've got to be covered from top to bottom, usually, correct? Yeah. So you have to be really covered up. You have to uh, wear like tight um, um, pants, tight shirts underneath your jerseys or uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hijab is the head um, um, wrap. Right. Which a lot of them, they, they would do their layers, like they would wear their um, tight shirts and tight uh, pants, but then they would get rid of the hijab. Right. Which was, that is their identity. And I'm like, oh no, I don't want to be responsible for this. So then I start talking to the girls again, which came back to the whole idea of like getting them involved. And I was like, so how can we really solve this issue? I see that you're really impassioned about, I don't want to stop you playing. I want you to continue playing, but how can we do it? What if we do this together? And they're like, yeah, I I would love to wear my hijab, but I need something that can work with me. And so all of this is going on while you're volunteering and you're day job, which even now your day job, you're a social worker, um, correct? Yes. So what kind of social work do you do? So I do, I work with all ages right now. Um, So assessment, um, comprehensive assessment, basically, we're providing PCAs, um, waiver services for our community members in Ramsey County. Okay, great. And then Jamie, throughout all of this, you're you're doing marketing for different types of companies and um how did how did you connect with Fatima? Yeah, so I had just um gone back to school to get my master's in business after about 10 years in different marketing roles. And I'd gone in uh, to school with the the hope and idea of finding something more impact-driven or impact-focused for my next kind of career move. I wanted to 
do something that really made a difference in people's lives and that I felt really good about spending my days and weeks and years working on. Um, so that was kind of my lens going into business school. Um, I went to the Carlson School of Management at, here at the University of Minnesota, and uh, which uh, coincidentally is situated about two blocks from Fatima's gym, uh, the, the community center where she had her uh, gym program. And so I had heard uh, rumblings of uh, the work that she'd been doing when I first started business school, and it it was interesting because at first I was like, oh my goodness, like that is exactly the kind of work I would love to be doing. Like it, it actually kind of helped me even focus more just hearing about her work before I, I knew that a couple months later, uh, kind of serendipitously, um, she and uh, one of our mentors now uh, reached out to the business school asking if there was a student who could help them kind of take this idea that, that they were working on this, pro- this community project and take it from really a project to a business. Um, and at the time they just said, you know, can someone help us draft a business plan? And I immediately responded, yes, absolutely. I want to do it. And then I Googled what's a business, a business plan. <laughs> um, Cause I'd never, like I'd never, started a business. I was mm-hmm. never interested in really entrepreneurship. Um, but I'd spent 10 years in business and in marketing. And so I was like, I, I'm sure I can figure this out. Um, I really want to work on this. I, you know, I had seen, so, you know, I'd, I'd played sports through college and then I went on to my career in marketing and in different roles, um, you know, I'd kind of move up the ladder and, and I'd get positive feedback on my leadership skills and how I could pull a team together and um, kind of my resilience and my focus and all these kind of buzzwords that to me were things that were inherent and natural because of the time I'd spent leading a team on a volleyball court or on a softball field or basketball. And so I loved the idea of, of working on this work with Fatima to help more girls have those opportunities because it's, it's, you know, my passion is not really about kind of like playing the game today, but all of those um, opportunities to develop as a character, you know, as a, as mm-hmm. a person and, um, and take that into future success. And so that's what I was super pumped about. Um, and so yeah, Fatima and I were not kind of your traditional like um, uh, co-founder story of like two best friends who grew up next door to each other. We like we literally like you know had a couple coffee dates and said let's do this, and we shared a passion. And um, the best part is today people ask us you know your question of how did you guys meet? How did this come together? And like Fatima will look at them with like you know just blank face, no pause, and say we're sisters. Like, <laughs> isn't it obvious? <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, been in this whirlwind of a few years. It feels like we've known each other forever. Um, but, it, you know, when you share a passion, it becomes rather easy to, you know, find a way to work together and make it, you know, make it the best we can. Tis the season for engagements. As Zoe and I hang out on the couch while all of you lovebirds get engaged during this cuffing season, take my advice and visit Zola. 
Zola takes the stress out of wedding planning with free wedding websites, your dream wedding registry, affordable save the dates and invitations, and easy to use planning tools. First, you create a customized wedding website. It's super easy with hundreds of designs. You can add all sorts of info, including, and here's one of the best parts, an FAQ section for questions like, can I bring my kids? Is it open bar? Will weird Uncle Jimmy be there? Then you build your dream registry, which goes right on your wedding website. So guests get all the details they need and buy your wedding gift in one convenient and beautiful place. The Zola store has over 500 top brands from Cuisinart to Sonos and Airbnb. You can also create a fund for your honeymoon, future home, new kitten, anything you want. I checked it out and there are just so many options. As a guest, I would love, love, love the free shipping and returns, price matching and more. To start your free wedding website and also to get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola.com slash leveling. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash leveling for $50 off your registry. So what kind of companies had you been working at in your marketing role? Um, I had been at um, an advertising agency in Minneapolis called Fallon um, for a few years. Um, And then I was at 3M where I was... um, doing marketing for all the consumer products. So like post-it notes and scotch tape and command strips. Um, I have all of that in my apartment. I know it's the best. Um, I, you know, that's the one regret. I don't, I no longer have like access to like the employee store. Um, But um, when I was at Fallon, um, one of my um, accounts at the time was a bank in Abu, Abu Dhabi. And so I got to um, learn all about the Muslim culture and Sharia law and Arabic. And I spent quite a bit of time in the Middle East um, through that experience. And so this like kind of blending of my worlds came together um, with this work that we're doing. Um, and I find it super fun and fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's really funny. Like you don't really anticipate that some of the experiences you have are going to relate to anything you do later on, right? Like you'll be like, "Oh, this is a cool <laughs> project," right? But you won't think that you're going to happen to run into Fatima and be like, "Hey, let's come up with some really cool modest sportswear together." Like it's not <laughs> totally. something that was on your radar, right? Not one bit. No. Um, but I do like, you know, in college, I, I knew I wanted to go on and do marketing and I thought I would go and work for like a major sports brand, like, uh, or activewear brand. And so it's, it's, that's the other piece that I come back to and I laugh at. Cause I, like, I made like fake ads in college about <laughs> like a shoe brand and like all these things. And, um, so it's fun to kind of like be like, wow, we, we're kind of doing that now. Yeah. So, I mean, you you say, hey, I'm going to figure out how to write a business plan. And you all have some meetings. I'm guessing one of the first steps was actually coming up with like a sample, right? Yeah. So that was actually the first. um, What happened was this whole idea of business, actually, when we did the 
co-creating with the community with the whole uniform, um, it was never to really make it a business. But we had the state, one of the state senators, um, Carrie, Carrie Dixis, who really was like, Fatima, you know, I think I can see this thing going more than just see the Riverside. I think we can bring um, the uniform to out to the large uh, Muslim community in the United States, even out of the United States. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> she was like, yes. Actually, that's how the whole, she connected me to uh, one of our mentors, um, Monica Nassif, who really was like, okay, Fatima, this is amazing. You don't have no background in business. What are we going to do? And I'm like, yes, I don't have any background in business. I've never thought this was going to be a business. She's like, okay, then. Now we have to go find someone who knows business and who can really do marketing. Then I was like, okay, perfect. University of Minnesota was right next to us. Um, so Carleton School of Business is where I was like, we're going to send an email to one of the business students and really see if someone can come and help. And right away, they were like, Fatima, we find someone who really wants to do this. And I was like, oh, perfect. Then let's meet. Let's meet Jamie. We met with Jamie, me and my um, mentor. And right away, I was like, yeah, I think Jamie is. We didn't even have a second doubt about it. I'm like, I, I think we found it. We found it. We're going to go with Jamie. Right on that moment, we're like, what are we, what's next now? Well, the business plan is what we need to write. But um, I was like, let's go back to the uniform we created. While we're doing all this business planning, the girls are wearing their uniform. And right away, they found out that after the fashion show that what they really created was just not the right fabric. Mm. It was a great idea, but it was not the right thing they wanted to play at their school. Then I was like, oh, wow, we never thought about that actually. We were so excited with co-creating that we didn't really chose the right fabric or anything. Um, so we had to go back and we're like, okay, the uniform is pretty good idea, but the uniform is not the whole thing that really is causing um, a lot of problems for Muslim girls to be physically active. We're like, if there's one thing that you would want out of, um, if there's one important item that, you, that would make you more physically active and get involved in sport, what would it be? And they were like, a sport hijab would be the most important uh, thing right now because they can layer their um, uniform and they were like, but we cannot find a sport hijab that can fit us, that is breathable, that's lightweighted. And the one we created was really not breathable or lightweighted. It was, the, the sign was there, but nothing else was there. Mm -hmm. And when they start wearing it, they were like, Fatima, we're not going to wear this. This is too hot. Actually, it's worse than my normal um, hijab that I wear. And I was like, oh, wow, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. But it's a good problem because this problem is really what really makes us more focused on our sport hijabs right now. We start testing with the girls again and we start the process from zero. We're really focusing on the right fabric. Um, after like 80 different fabrics, um, when the girls tested, we came up with the right fabric, which they give all the yeses. Like it's breathable, it's wet wicketing, it's lightweight, it's um, tight fitting. So everything that they wanted it. Um, the most important that's very unique about our product is that Jamie and I just didn't create it and say, hey, Fatima, since you're the uh, lady who wears hijab, try this and let me know what <laughs> is. We're like, no, it's not going to work. The girls were the ones who gave us all the feedback because really they're the ones who are wearing it. They're the ones who we really want to um, write their own stories on becoming physically active and getting involved in the sport um, in their communities and schools. Oh, and what a great focus group, right? I mean, you have 
them right there at your disposal. It's, you know, well, that sounds terrible, but you know what I meant. (laughs) Well, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the the very unique thing about our, I think, our whole um, Asia is that it's not it's not just me. Uh, there's not Asia in me, uh, Jamie, or and I. It's basically Asia is the girls in the community. They're the one actually who even picked the name Asia. So everything we do without them saying yes, me and Jamie really don't move and do anything with it the colors the styles everything they are the ones who really voice for us oh my gosh that's so great i mean so you mentioned something that i had been planning to ask so can you tell us why the name asia so as our whole story uh, was all about co-creating with the girls and girls being the center of our um our company and our project, um, Asia really came out about, we had a focus group with girls on one of our Sundays um, program, which really brought around 10 to 15 girls one afternoon and really start picking names that they really meant something for them, that they can really relate to, that they see themselves in there. And right away, um, they all came back to the name Asia because Asia, it was a well-known uh, Muslim uh, woman in the Islamic history, which was known for fighting um, against injustice. So they were like, we believe this is what we're doing. We want more girls to be physically active. Um, it's a barrier that we're going through. So this really fits us. So we picked the name Asia. Um, but the f- funny thing is that when we picked the name Asia, we never knew that we were going to be the first ones to present in every little thing we do. Because... It's A. So every competition me and Jamie got into, Asia is the first one to say, oh, you guys are up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we always have to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jamie, you know, your experience in school and with the marketing, um, you, you, got, you helped with, you guys did a lot of these startup kind of competitions, right? And and some crowdfunding to to get some money to get everything rolling. That's right. Yeah, we like we had this dream that we could just get started right away and then we learned quickly that we needed some cash. Um <laughs> so we 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 entered the uh, Minnesota Cup competition which is the largest statewide um startup competition in the country. Um and we won the social venture division and we were named the top women-led business and the top minority-led business um, of the competition. And this was in 2016. Um, and so that um, reward money or uh, award money um, got us started. And then we, we quickly rolled into our Kickstarter campaign um, uh, two years ago, actually, um, two years ago, two days ago oh. <laughs> was our anniversary of concluding that com- campaign. Um, our goal was to raise $25,000 and we raised, uh, just over $38,000. Whoa. And, uh, yeah, so we had a great, um, start, uh, between those two kind of capital, uh, fundraising efforts. And we were able to order our fabric, uh, through the Kickstarter. We took pre-orders, um, through the Kickstarter, um, we had just tons of people giving us their support um, by sponsoring athletes. And that's something we actually still do today on our website is 
Um, you can sponsor an athlete if you know if you don't need a, a sports hijab yourself, or if you just really want to support the community. Um, you can sponsor an athlete, and we will. Um, you know, find an athlete in need and donate a sports hijab and other Aussie gear to her. Um, so we've today we've we've sponsored over 400 athletes through our various programs, um, and we have schools and sports organizations constantly reaching out to us who have students who could absolutely benefit from sports hijabs and would really you know, enable their participation in PE class or in sports, um, but they otherwise couldn't afford it. And so it's a great way for us to kind of continue um, to focus on our impact. And um, Kickstarter really helped us really focus on that, which was a great way to start. How, um, how do you find these athletes? Like if, if a young woman was listening right now and, um, you know, wanted to be, more active in sports, um, but, you know, had that financial uh, impediment to buying a sports hijab, um, how how would she go about, you know, getting in touch with y'all or, you know, maybe being a sponsored athlete? Yeah, so we, there's a couple ways. Um, on our website, there's a donation request form. Um, so whether it's an individual girl or a school, um, you can fill that out and kind of just tell us the story um, and the need. Um, and so we're, we're constantly reviewing those and, and fulfilling those as, as much as we can. We also uh, this summer started a kind of an advocacy program um, that we call Asia Athlete. And um, also on our website, you can submit uh, or apply to be an Asia Athlete. Um, tell us about yourself. Um, what your interests are, and it's our goal to really provide the tools um, and support that Muslim athletes need around the country and around the world um, to tell their story and become the next role models because a a major barrier today along with access to culturally appropriate activewear is is there's a lack of role models. Right. Um, uh, You know, the, you know, you cannot be what you cannot see kind of adage. And so um, we want to kind of champion these girls. So, you know, through our social media platforms and through our blog posts, we're telling their stories and, and then giving them the tools and support to encourage that they go on and tell their own stories. And, and um, so we've met fascinating. I mean, we've met like these amazing girls from around the country, like a, um, a softball player from Ohio who's like determined to go play D1 who wears a sports hijab, hijab. she pitches and she catches and, and she is just like determined. Um, there's a boxer in Colorado, um, the first hijabi ballerina out of Australia um, we've worked with and Whoa. we've given her gear. Um, so we've just met like the most amazing young women um, and are just like feel so blessed to be able to support them. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we need to... We we are you know in need of continued sponsor, sponsorship and and help to, so we can support these girls. Um, the other thing that we're doing and we spend a lot of our time on right now is educating schools and working with um, you know having discussions and phone calls and emails with principals and athletic directors because it's really our dream and vision. Like success to us is that 
a sports hijab becomes part of the sports equipment and uniform that is issued by a school or sports um, league because to, to us it's it's as important for a Muslim girl to have a sports hijab as it is to, you know, have a pair of shorts or mm-hmm. the basketball jersey. So um, we're, we've, we've met with such amazing administrators from schools who totally get it and are so excited to support their communities. And then we've talked to some where this is like the first time they've ever even thought, like, you're right. There is like this huge population of girls in our school um, and they're not on our teams. Um, why is that? And so it's it's kind of this process, this change that we're trying to make. It's, you know, we really, it's really kind of a movement more so than it is a business at times because of these discussions and the change that we're trying to see made, you know, whether it be in schools or just in, you know, community gyms like Fatima's. Right. Well, and I think, you know, as somebody who, I don't know, I think I, in the last couple of years have become more educated on Muslim culture and, and everything. And, um, partially thanks to, uh, our mutual friend, Shireen Ahmed, um, and, and the things that she often talks about on her podcast. Um, but that lack of role models, um, Fatima, I feel like is likely a problem in in all realms of like business and leadership when it comes to, um, uh, female Muslims. Um, you know, we just saw the first, is it the first two um, Muslim women who were um, elected into Congress, right? I think. Yes. So, I mean, which is phenomenal, right? That, that has to bring such a a sense of pride and, and, and be, I don't know, I, I think as a white woman, like how exciting it would be just to have a, you know, a woman president or whatever. And, you know, even though we're not at the same numbers as white men, like there are white women everywhere. Like we know this. Um, so I can only imagine how big of a deal that must be for your community. Yes, actually, it's a really big deal in my community. Um, like there's so many Muslim young girls out there who really can say, wow, I see someone that looks like me who mm-hmm. is part of the Congress, who's making laws, um, who's writing laws. So I think um, it really matters to see someone who looks like you. So I think we are changing um, the really the norm, what looks norm to all communities. And America is a melting pot. So I am really excited for the next generation of um, young people all around the world seeing like, I think it's going to be very diverse. And as a w- um, woman who also ha- is raising two girls right now, I'm really excited to say that they're going to have role models r- uh, written in the histories that they can read that can say, oh, my, there was a Muslim woman who was part of the, you know, who's writing um, laws for the United States. Right, right. And from a sports point of view, you know, well, we've been fortunate enough that there is um, that Ibtihaj Muhammad. Um, I can never say her name correctly, mm-hmm. so I'm sorry if I just completely did, butchered it. Um, you know, Muhammad, you did good. You did good. <laughs> Thanks. You know, we're fortunate that you know she 
you know, she's been out in the public and I think that that's great. And I mean, one of the things is the more, the more hijabi women that we, we see in day-to-day life in our sports, in our, in our um, Congress, in everything, the more normal quote unquote it gets. And I feel like it helps with some of the, you know, some of the not nice things people say. I'm trying to think of the best way to the racism, basically. Yeah, I think reputations matter. You know, Um, I think the more people they see um, Muslim women who are playing sports, who are being part of the, you know, United States teams, the better it'll be uh, for young girls who are growing. But I think what's very unique about in sports since I was young, I was in is that people don't really look at religion. I mean, all they have is one mission and that mission is like, I want my team to win. Mm -hmm. So when we talk to a lot of our um, coaches, what we found out is like, oh yeah, I want to be able to help the young Muslim girl to really be involved and get part of this team. How can I help? We never really had a really one time someone telling us, oh yeah, I don't think it's going to really matter. Every time when we tell them, they're like, how can I help? What can I do? So, I mean, everybody wants their team to win. And I think regardless, um, any schools we saw, they're like, yeah, I want my team to win. Well, how can I really equip my Muslim girls to be ready and to be part of this? I mean, I think what is very important is like the young Muslim girls who are growing in America are just like any girl, the next door girl. So mm-hmm. it's, they're no different. They want to be part of the basketball the, team. They want to go to their dance school. They want to uh, go to their school um, football, basketball, soccer games. They just want to be really welcome and be accepted for who they are. And that's what we're really about is that we want more girls to feel accepted. All right, ladies, admit it. Do you know what those tampons, that lube, or even those condoms that you use are made out of? Yeah, I didn't either. Well, now there's this brand called Sustain, and they're committed to solving the problem of not knowing what you're putting in there. Sustain is a one-stop shop for vagina-friendly products, including condoms, lube, tampons, and more. They really want us to know what we're putting in our vaginas, and they want to give us great options. They make all of their stuff, condoms, lube, period products, Organic, vegan, fair trade, sustainably made, and free of all the bad ingredients, the parabens, glycerin, and synthetic ingredients. They've got 100% organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners, and now period underwear. Sustain is a service that you can subscribe to online, but a subscription isn't required, and you get the products delivered right to your door. Right now, listeners of Leveling the Playing Field can get 20% off their first one-time order, so not one of the subscriptions, but a one-time order, and free shipping when you sign up at SustainNatural.com and use LTPF at checkout. That's SustainNatural.com, promo code LTPF, for all natural, vagina-friendly products that put women's bodies first. You know, I'm so happy to hear that um, the schools have been great, you know, because I think that that says a lot. I know that, you know, there are areas of the country that that's not necessarily the case. So that's great. 
Um, I remember being excited, which is a, a you know, kind of sounds funny coming from me, but I remember being excited when I um, saw Sarah Atala. Is that how you say her name from Saudi um, America? I think America. I think Saudi Arabia. I'm sorry, what did you say? Sarah Atala. Is that how you say her last name? Uh, she's Sarah Atala. I'm- the runner. Um, I think she was the. F- oh yes. Yeah, and I remember that was ju- that was only a couple years ago. It feels like forever ago now, but um, that was a really exciting thing to see. Um, as a runner myself, I was like, "Yeah, this is awesome." I know it's it's really amazing how more uh, Muslim countries are coming out. And really um, seeing how important this physical activity is and providing a space for, um, I mean, women to be physically active. A lot of time it's like, oh, yeah, you're a woman. I don't I think it's you are getting physically active, uh, helping out and cleaning the house. But really, that's (laughs) not enough. So, I mean, and it really comes back to reputation um, being matter, like more people seeing other women being physically active, being part of sports, yeah. the more I think we're going to find in a couple of years, it's like, we're going to, this is not going to be like, like, oh my, that's very, that's very unique that we see a, a Muslim girl being part of the uh, boxing or the hockey. It's like, it's going to be just normal. Oh yeah. Muslim girls playing hockey. Perfect. When, um, you know, I know when talking with Shireen, one of the things that we talked about had been FIBA and the ban on hijabs that they had. And I know that there are still a few or quite a few um, sports entities or leagues or associations, whatever you want to call them, um, that that still have those types of bans in place. Jamie, are you working with them and trying to educate them more so that um, you know, the doors can be opened up even wider. We worked closely with the state high school league to make sure that um, everything that we did met the regulations set out. And, and fortunately for high school sports, you can um, you can participate wearing religious headwear, um, but there are still some steps required to do so, um, which has caused some problems. So, um, it might vary a little by state, um, but in Minnesota, um, the process is that you have to um, you have to have your coach or athletic director, I believe, write into the state high school league and get written approval that you can wear your your you know your headwear or whatever your religious kind of alteration is to the uniform. And have that letter um, kind of on hand at games in case a referee kind of questions the kind of the headwear or whatever it might be. And so um, that seems so we've I mean, (laughs) so I'm sorry to interrupt, but that seems kind of subjective, I guess. Like, what if what if the athletic director at the schools of raging racist and it's like no for no other reason than like they just don't they're just ignorant yeah yeah we we think it's problematic as well like it it seems unnecessary it seems like especially now that for instance there's been this great company who's created very safe and um and comfortable sports hijabs that um 
you know, shouldn't cause any problem. Um, so we've actually had really productive conversations with the state of Minnesota, um, the group here about eliminating that step. Um, because at least in Minnesota, the group told us that, you know, they never say no. (laughs) Um, but there've been States where, um, you'll hear these awful news stories Mm -hmm. about girls where that say like their ethic program didn't know that they had to have that written letter or they had a referee who was not fully educated on the rules or so you have these horrible stories of girls like you know being benched at the end of the season in the you know state finals or whatever it might be when they had been competing all season long and all of a sudden they have a referee and uh calls them out and they don't have the right paperwork um and now they're getting, you know, they're super embarrassed. These girls like already feel like they're, you know, they're the only one in many cases on the team wearing a hijab. And now they have this attention drawn to them as if they're like they're a problem. So we think there's a lot of um, like, I understand there needs to be steps for safety. Um, but I think there could be, you know, concerns and issues here where, where girls either aren't playing or they're not coming out because they just they these these kind of added barriers um hold them back for various reasons or cause issues for various reasons so so there's definitely work to be done um luckily you know FIBA overbanned their um overturned their ban FIFA did a couple years before that so like it's great to see at the highest levels things mm-hmm. are changing um and hopefully we can also see some changes more as we you know kind of help along with a huge ecosystem of other support services are helping more Muslim girls get into sports um, at the younger levels, like together these forces will help kind of normalize this and um, make some changes together. Right. Well, and I I expect that that education has to start at the youngest levels too, right? For, you know, the volunteer coaches and for the, I don't know, whatever the little mini leagues are, because, Mm-hmm. that's when it's going to be put into the athlete's mind, whether or not this is acceptable. Totally. And that's why like we're, we're trying to reach out to as many youth sports organizations as we can. And a lot of them have like access initiatives, like let's help find more, you know, girls to participate or more kind of underserved communities to get involved. Um, and so we're trying to partner with them Um to say okay like like for instance we work with this great organization called girls on the run yes Um, i love them yes uh, amazing um you know we love what they're doing and they um they have fabulous kind of sponsors and donors who are supporting them in efforts to help increase participation with underserved groups and so for instance they've provided for several years like free running shoes to girls who don't have them to be a part of the program um now we're partnering with them in, in several of the chapters around the country um to provide sports jobs to girls so when girls sign up now they can check a box that says like do you need running shoes check would you need a sports job check and um and so they can have that at the beginning of the program and like totally be enabled to fully participate um, without concern so um so we're trying to find more programs like that who have those focus areas because it it takes more than just like 
like a lot of programs say like, you know, we just don't have Muslim girls participating, so we don't need to buy your sports hijabs <laughs> and they but kind of end the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and we're like, well, we would love to partner with you to encourage more girls to sign up. Um a sports hijab is a really visible way to say like we have an inclusive program and mm-hmm. we invite you, you know, like this is just one one really easy way to say like come and join us you're welcome here Um, but we've we've also put together educational materials that also talk about the other barriers to muslim girls participating in in sports um because there's been you know some research around that and kind of what we've seen um with the program that fatima's had and just trying to partner with schools to do more than just say, like, we're here to sell you sports jobs. Like, no, like, we really want to partner and find ways to increase participation um, in sports for Muslim girls. So can you talk a little bit about what some of those additional barriers are? So, um, yeah, one of the uh, barriers we uh, saw is girls are not participating in their PE classes. You know, that's where they oh, really I'm sorry, Fatima, I their... can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, so PE class. Girls are not participating in their PE class. Um, Another thing is that they're not really interested. And why is it? Why are they not really uh, being interested in playing sports? Um, So we're really also clothing being number one reason. Or is it because they're not really welcome in the environment? So basically more educational um, reasoning why the girls might not really be fully involved in playing is um and, and this is my ignorance so um i don't know bear with me here but is is the fact that most coaches are male also a barrier yeah i think the conversation also uh male culturally and also religiously you don't really um can be playing in a place where um, the male is the one who's coaching you um, some cultures will say, yeah, um, female, if she coaches you, it's fine. So it's really abnormal for them to really be part of a team where a, a male is coaching. So a lot of time the male will, will educate them and say, you know what, there's things that you might not uh, say to the Muslim female girl who's participating in sports. Maybe you can use your... Um, what do you call your manager to talk to them or bring another female who can really speak to them the importance of sport. We also use a lot of data and research um, why um, girls should be participating in sport. And I think what we found out is that the more we tell people about how when girls who play sports are more academically ready, um, time management, leadership skills, anyone we really show those data, they're really like, oh my God, I want my girl to play. It's so funny. So it's it's a really, yeah, it's a really, they just never been told the importance of girls and why sports really matter. And, you know, being like I was a supervisor, manager, you know, like I know when a girl played sports, I know they interview better. I know they'll be able to really um, understand that it's not always a win-win situation, that they still need to be part of the team. Uh, They need to find another way of doing the problem they're solving. So it's just that leadership skills that you don't really find in day-to-day that girls are missing when they're not really participating in that community of sports and family. Yeah, it's really funny how, like, I don't know how many years now has it been like it's been over 40 years since Title IX, right? And there's been all of this research 
There's so much research about how, you know, participating in athletics helps young women and girls. Um, and there are still people who just have never heard that before or have never seen it. And in my mind, I'm like, if you're the head of any sort of athletic anything and you aren't aware of that, you've not done enough homework for your job. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, starting off the girls program, we used Title IX to really say, hey, we need a space for girls to be physically active. You're not providing that safe place. We need it. And it really worked. But it's not too many people who really Title IX was not far away. It was just really not that long ago. Right. Right. Um, that women were not really playing sports and they were getting, you know, all the barriers stopped. So I think it's um, and it's kind of sad to say to this day, still, there's more males who are coaching. Um, and that's another thing we're really working on is that trying to find more females who are Muslim who are coaching. And I think in a couple of years, there will be more of that. Um, so it's I think sports in general, females are not really are missing out. And it's something that we sh all the communities are really working on toward. Right, right. I, I mean, women in general, there need to be more women in coaching and leadership positions in sport. And then to have, um, you know, Muslim women, you know, because you're right, like, at the end of the day, when it comes to a team, nobody cares about the religion, right? It's everybody wins. But the difference with a Muslim woman is that it's visible. And so it stands out, right? And so it's important to have those people have women who do wear hijabs in those coaching and, and leadership roles to increase that inclusivity and, and that feeling of welcomeness. Mm -hmm. yes. Absolutely. And what we love like about just the idea of youth sports is that when you have, you know, a diverse group of kids playing together at a young age they are learning things about each other, you know, through, you know, this, the course of the sports season and, you know, all of that kind of fear of the unknown goes away. So like, you know, I grew up and I had my first Jewish friend on my basketball team and I got to learn all about, you know, her, her culture and her faith. And, um, you know, through the course of that season, we became really close friends. And now, you know, now it's like, I have no, like, totally cool like you know um so it's it's the same idea of like if we can get more diversity um together on a on a team um you know our future looks a lot brighter because we all understand each other a lot more mm -hmm. um and we're gonna you know have that much more kind of love and understanding yeah for sure um you know and it's interesting right around when <laughs> when you all launched is when Nike decided it was going to make an announcement that it was going to start selling uh, athletic hijabs. That's right. Yeah. Um, they about, you know, six months after our Kickstarters, when we officially launched our business, and that's, that's a, the same time Nike announced. Um, what was fabulous is they totally helped us educate the world on this idea and this need. And they had, mm -hmm. you know, shined a great spotlight on Muslim athletes who desperately deserved kind of recognition and acceptance into the world of sports. So 
um, amazing that a major brand and company would do that. Um, and they helped us tell the world like what a sports hijab is like that word didn't mean or that phrase didn't mean anything. Um, and so that was great. Um, what's also been fascinating is now we're having, um, girls and women, you know, try theirs and try ours and write reviews about it. And, Mm -hmm. um, we've been like totally humbled (laughs) as like two gals who've never designed apparel before. Um, there've been some like incredible reviews of people, um, you know, just candidly preferring our sports job over Nike's and, they talk about the fit and they talk about um, the design and then and the fabric. And then, you know, then they say, and, you know, yes, first things first, I need the right product. It needs to fit and be great for my sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, you know, I want to support a Muslim owned company. And it's like, it's very clear that this brand and this product came from Fadima's Gym of Girls. And so um, that is where it's like, truly meaningful and, and, um, you know, gives us kind of the relief of several, um, years and lots of nights of, of sleeplessness, um, to have something that's getting like great validation, which is awesome. I saw yeah, some, um, I, if I can just add it. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I think, um, Jamie really uh, pointed out, we were very excited for Nike to really come out and say they're going to do a sport hijab. But really, we're very social impact, um, Asia. We're all about impacting the community and really getting more girls and women to be physically active. So when Nike, company like Nike said, oh, yeah, we're going to provide sport. We're, gonna, we're going to have sport hijabs, even though it's like a year from now. That show that the importance of Muslim women and how they are in that um, field and they're planning to support them. Um, really, a lot of people say, but it's a business. You're a business. You should be competing. I'm like, no, it's not about competing. We want our Muslim women to have choices. We want them to say, I want Asia. I want Nike. I mean, Nike is not the only company. We have Adidas. We have, and all women around the world have their own preference. So we're really excited that more companies are picking up and noticing that Muslim women are physically active and they do need choices on what clothes to wear. Yeah, I mean, you you hit it kind of right on the bottom and from a business standpoint too like it's not it's not necessarily the fact that you now have competition it's that there there's a validation of the market and you know cuz nike's not getting into the business just for the fun of it i mean it's just not what they do right they're not that impact oriented as you all are. They're getting into it because they recognize how huge the female Muslim market is. And if they can, you know, yes, it, you know, part of it will be to encourage women to play sports, but, you know, really it's do- it, for them, it's dollar signs. And so to know that you were in the game before they were, um, and that people prefer your brand to theirs. That's really exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we always missed. welcome, you know, um, we always welcome new companies to come and create sport jobs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you can learn from each other, right? I mean, that's what everyone does. 
um, all, oh, of yeah. the, all of the apparel brands. That's what they've been doing for years, which is why sometimes you see lawsuits. Yes. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> um, so I want to make sure that everyone knows. Well, let me start with this. Can each of you tell me um, what you do for yourself by way of self-care? Ooh, you know, I'm just kind of coming back into the world of self-care after um, I, my I, my youngest child turns one year old tomorrow. Oh, and happy birthday, baby. <laughs> yes. So I am re-entering kind of self-time. Um, to me, the best form of self-care is a morning workout where I can get hot and sweaty and get all the endorphins and be done with it and showered by 6.45 in the morning and start my day. What's to your me, preference? That's like for a workout, mm-hmm. I like to do like high intensity interval training kind of workouts. So I go to a gym that just, you know, I have a coach. She leads the class. We row, we lift, we uh, run. Is it we, OTF? No, it's 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 a small gym here in Minneapolis called Pedal Sculpt, and it's a rowing focused gym, but it's got kind of CrossFit like workouts, and it's just it's great. Gotcha, very cool. And what about you, Fatima? Yeah, for me, self care. Um, for me, really, I also have a eleven month old. Oh. So me and Jamie have. I can't really hear you and it's right echoey all at the same time. Okay, so yeah, both me and Jamie, we have. Um, so I have an 11-month-old. Jamie has one who's turning um, one-year-old. So we both have those um, two children. And it's really self-care is always I like to be out in the community. Um, my Sundays usually are out and playing basketball or just being around um, the girls, really. It's what I, my parents and my husband, they know that Sundays and Wednesdays are the days that I just go and do my exercise and play and really enjoy what I love to do. And it's always a conversation with, because they always say that's my first child. It's the girls. <laughs> so, and they know they're not going to take that away from me. So. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I want to make sure that everyone knows where to follow you guys, how to, you know, find you on the interwebs. And I heard a little rumor that you might have something special for my listeners. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so you can follow us on social media at Asia Sport. And it's spelled A-S-I-Y-A Sport. And that's also our website, um, asiasport.com. And if you want to um, buy a sports hijab, we would love to offer a discount code or promo code to your listeners. Um, we'd love to offer 20% off to anyone who's listening with the promo code LTPF for leveling the playing field. So um, come and check it out. We, you know, you can sponsor an athlete. We also have, if you don't need a sports hijab for yourself, um, you can also that we have shirts and that we have we just launched a baseball hat and all of our gear like the stuff that's not sports jobs. Fifty um, percent of the profits also go go towards sponsoring athletes. So 
um, you know, we're trying to, sh- to push as much, much as we can towards helping the girls who need, need sports jobs the most. Oh, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, thank you both so much for coming on and educating us and, and, you know, telling us your stories. And I just, I'm so excited that we got to have you. And um, I had been, you know, I knew of you all. And then when one of our listeners um, hooked us up, I, I just, I was over the moon. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. This was great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much to Fatima and Jamie for coming on. Don't forget to check them out. Their company is exactly the kind that we'd love to support as its mission is related to empowerment of girls and women through sport. Uh, What are y'all thankful for this Thanksgiving? Send your answer on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at LTPFpod. And search the Facebook, yep, the Facebook, for Leveling the Playing Field group. We have a private Facebook group that we've gotten started, and we're starting to have some conversations there. So I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode and what you're thankful for for Thanksgiving. As always, you can email us at ltpfpod at gmail.com. And, you know, one of the things that I'm super grateful for are your reviews and ratings. Please make sure you take 30 seconds to rate and review us. It helps new listeners find us and we'll be forever grateful. Also hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and tune in. And as I mentioned in my intro, but I have to say it again, I am forever thankful for Jerry and Jason at Radio Influence for all of their support, editing, and audio engineering expertise. Make sure you check them out and the other Radio Influence family podcasts at RadioInfluence.com. Please have a safe and happy holiday week, everyone. This is The Crush Report with Jeff Crushell. In order to be a top performer in any discipline, it's not so much the gifted genes passed down through your family tree that will provide greatness, but more the environment that surrounds you and the effort you put in. Great performers are special, but not for who they are per se, but more for what they do and how they do it. Talent development is a process. People gravitate towards the things they're good at, whether it be sports, music, math, or business. Once you've found your niche, it takes time and coaching to reach your potential, and it does take time. If we look at the average age of great performers from a multitude of disciplines, we'd find that in track and field, the average world record holder is 25 years of age. Top business CEOs average 52 years of age. The average age of an MLB MVP is 27 years. Top chemists, 35 years. Great investors, 39 years. And the world's greatest philosophers average 64 years of age. And here are some of the things we know about how top performers operate. They are very deliberate when they map out a plan to get better at a specific task. And they judge themselves differently. They use personal best competition and best scores to mark their performance, and they rarely shy away from adversity. They welcome it as a test of their skills. It's not easy to become a top performer, but remember, greatness is up for grabs if you're willing to dedicate the time and effort. 
Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.